<clears throat> Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 7 tells us that there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. No sad order. There's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Now if we come to Proverbs 26 and verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in your own eyes. Verse 4 tells us there's a time to be silent. Verse 5 tells us there's a time to speak. And since it is my contention that the Holy Spirit is behind the giving of Scripture, using the same author, writer, Solomon, who gave us that order in Ecclesiastes and maintains that order here in the Proverbs. But what about these verses? Do they contradict one another? Or do they complement one another? The first we are put to the task of discerning if someone is a fool. But also we see in this the reality that we will be encountering fools because it doesn't say if by chance somehow along the way you may encounter a fool. No, it says do not answer a fool according to his folly. Every one of us will be in the audience of a fool. It's taken for granted. You will be dealing with fools. And so what does that also tell us? Well, it tells us that it requires some kind of judgment on our part. And we have to, at that point, remember that even though many people will want to take scripture and twist it and turn it and bend it in, in kind of positions like a strange sort of Gumby and say, well, you know, Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. Well, okay. He said that. That's Matthew 7 and verse 1. But he didn't stop at verse 1. He went right on to verse 2, which a lot of people don't do. And he makes clear, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So therefore, our judgment should be based upon the word of God. And in light of that, it would perhaps, perhaps be good for us to have a biblical understanding of what constitutes a person being a fool. And the only way that we can really know that is by the characteristics, the behaviors. <clears throat> Excuse me, as you go through 
of Proverbs, there's about 13 of them that are listed. The first would be they're ungodly. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. The second thing would be a fool uses what God has given him for selfish purposes. And we get that even where Jesus uses the parable of the farmer who has a very successful crop. He says, what am I going to do? It's, it's bigger than my barns. I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. And then I will take my ease. And the Lord says to him, thou fool, this very night thy soul will be required of thee. The third thing that we know of a fool, he does not care for his soul. <clears throat> the fourth thing, a fool is lustful. Fifth, a fool is lazy. Won't even reach his hand down to well, some days. It, or the other picture is uh, like a, a door on its hinges. So is the slothful man, the fool, on his bed. He's lazy. Sixth, he hates knowledge. Seven, is self-righteous. Eighth, he loves evil. It's like a sport to him. <clears throat> Nine, he's full of self-confidence. Ten, what he thinks is most important. That is what he thinks is most important. As Proverbs tells us, a fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. From Proverbs 18 and verse 2. Eleven, a fool is unwise in his speech. As in Proverbs 18, verses 6 and 7. 12, it's hard to defool a fool. And Proverbs 27 and, and verse 22 tells us, though you grind a fool in mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. In 13, he doesn't think before he speaks. In Proverbs 29, in verse 11, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Verse 20, do you... See a man hasty in his words. And there is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, as we look at this, we should be able to admit that we have all been foolish at various times, at different times, particularly before the grace of God appeared with salvation for us. In Titus chapter 3, in verses 3 through 5, we read, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but 
according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Part of being saved is really admitting that we've been foolish, that we've been fools. So we've arrived at an understanding. So now we return back to Proverbs 26 and verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. There are times that arrogant people, self-centered people, self-righteous people, in essence fools, should not be answered at all. There are various times where that can be seen. Uh, since on Sunday mornings, the uh, adult Sunday school has been going through Jeremiah. If you might remember Jeremiah chapter 28. And Jeremiah has given a prophecy. Hananiah has countered it with uh, false words. So in verse 10, then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke of the prophet off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And that was against and opposite of what Jeremiah had said. Notice what happens. The prophet Jeremiah went his way. There's no sense in speaking at that point. Nothing could be accomplished. If we look at our own Lord and Savior in Mark chapter 14, Mark 14 and verse 57, as Jesus is before the high priest in the council. And some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will, re I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And if we turn over to chapter 15, verse 3. The chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing. 
So that Pilate marveled. See, there was a time to keep silent. There was nothing to be gained. No understanding. No change of mind. No insertion of truth would have been received or allowed because the truth was not being sought after. This is what Peter had in mind in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 21 to 23. When he comes to this very point and speaks of the very occasion. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one who judges righteously. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And so that brings us back to give us an understanding of what is written in Proverbs 26 and verse 4. We're not being told that we should never respond. That's not it. But that our response is not to be spoken in the way the fool speaks. That is, the fool is not to dictate how we respond. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. If a fool throws out a whole list of, of names like we find so many, racist, homophobe, patriarchal, whatever they throw out, it is not for us to look and say, well, you're a left-wing nutcase. That's going to the level of the fool and responding just like them. We can't let the fool bring us down to their level so that we sound just like them. So our reply is not to be an assault on the person, but rather a dealing with the content, a cleaning up of the lie, a reestablishment of the truth. In Proverbs 17 and verse 4, we read, An evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful, that is, a destructive tongue. And in Proverbs 20, verse 3, It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since only a fool can start a quarrel. It takes two. You have to go along with this one in order for a quarrel to exist. And so with that in mind, we can come to verse 5 and see that we have complementary things going on here. Nothing contradictory. We come to 25 with the understanding now. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. While there's a time to keep silence, a time not to cast pearls before swine. But by the way, if that's what you're going to live by, make sure your pearls are genuine. 
There's an instance where responding to them in their manner can make us look like a fool, but there's also a way for us to respond if necessary. Answer a fool according to his folly. That is, speak with a fool using wisdom, using wisdom that is against the content of, of what he is saying. Expose the folly of what they are saying, especially if you perceive in the possibility of hope of doing any good to him or to those who might be listening. A prime example might be out there in the world today, especially in the UK, there's the stop all people. End all, stop all. Holding up posters made of vinyl. Using cell phones made of plastics and others to communicate with each other. Wearing glasses. All these three things have something in common. What is it? They're made of petroleum products. So they want to give, do away with their precious smartphone? I doubt it. And so we wouldn't look at them and say, how could you be so stupid or foolish? We would say, what are those that you're wearing on your face? My glasses. What are they made of? What are you holding in your hand? A phone. What's it made of? And instead of going after them in their person, dealing with their content, exposing the folly even more so when the glory of God and the good of the church and the cause of the truth require it. Lest, notice in the end of verse 5, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Wise in his own eyes. Lest he think that by your silence he has won the day. That he silenced you. And here we have to be really careful because it's easy to trick ourselves into thinking because of being led by pride that we responded for a noble cause, but really we did it out of a desire to get even. You bruise me, so I will bruise you. Sometimes it's even good to repeat their words back to them lest perhaps they might see the folly of those words themselves. Causing them to think about what they just said. Last week we were in Job chapter 38. And I think in chapter 38 we find a good example of what Proverbs is teaching us. It is very hard in our age and in our time when we see how the Lord begins to speak to Job because we're in the midst of such a therapeutic age. Here, Job, here's a teddy bear and here's a safe space that you can occupy. And we 
we're so moved by the culture around us that we must, everything has to be therapeutic. Guess what? God is going to be very therapeutic with Job. But it's not the therapy that we would think is right because the therapy of the world is against the word of God. The therapy of the world is when they see a sinner, they say, well, it's by heredity. They really couldn't help themselves. So therefore, we have to make allowances. But the therapy of God is for a person who is a sinner to see themselves as a sinner that they might seek a savior. And so, Job is now appearing before God, the thing that he wanted to do. <laughs> and through this, in some cases, from some of the things that Job said, he has played the fool. And the Lord will not let this go on in silence. But out of love for Job, he will correct Job. Out of love for Job, he will deal with the content of it. And by the way, before we pass judgment on what God is saying, let's not be fools ourselves to pass judgment on what God says and how God deals with things. But also let's be careful too to see God knows what he's going to do for Job. And if we hadn't read ahead, we wouldn't know that. So therefore, we're operating out of ignorance if, and foolishness if we stop at this point and say, Oh, he's being so hard on poor Job. He seeks to set him right. And so in verse 2 of, of chapter 38, he said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Notice what he says. Who is this who darkens knowledge, or counsel that is, by words without knowledge. What is God addressing? He's saying, Job, you're a nitwit. No, he's saying the words. He's going after the words, the content of what Job was saying. God is not contending with him in regard to his words, but also remember words come from the heart and the exposure of what someone is saying is, exposes their hearts as well. So in verse 3, he says to Job, Now, prepare yourself like a man. Gird your loins. Get ready. Because what follows is a series of questions that will systematically show Job the folly of some of what Job had said and what he had thought. He truly does say to Job, prepare yourself, acquit yourself, gird up your loins like a man. Not like a person, but like a man. There is a way a man is supposed to receive and take things. He said, I will question you, and you will answer me. We can't help but notice that all these questions 
point to God as creator. The creator is addressing one of his creatures. And those questions cause all of us to look back again and, and ponder. It starts right from the beginning. Where did the earth come from? We just sang, a, I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise. How, how is there mountains in the first place? Who decided where the earth would be, its place that it would occupy in the universe? Who determined its size? Who determined the placement of the bodies of water and their limits? As you stand at the edge of a lake or you stand on the shore of the sea, does it come to our minds that the sea is there and it goes no further because that's where God put it? Who decided that there would be night and day? And the amount of each one? Who decided the depths of the seas? And in spite of our, some of our local meteorologists, who created the weather and made the wind to blow as a result of his creation? Let me get me, when, it gets me when the meteorologist says, well, we're going to give you a good day today, a good sunny day. We're bringing in some cooler air from the north. Oh, you are? You're, you're amazing. What caused there to be constellations to the stars? Were there to be stars in the first place? When was the last time that we caused a thunderstorm? Or made creatures in such a way that there would be a hierarchy? And some that are very numerous would be well, it would be food for others. As we brought up last week, to ask a question of God is to admit to him our limits. But to question God is to expose our arrogance. And to be arrogant is to be a fool. A good example is found, and we can make this good differentiation, if we will, in Psalm chapter 2, the second psalm. Because there's a question that is asked, and if, we're, if we read it too fast, we might miss. But in Psalm 2, in verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> the psalmist asks, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast them away. Now, if we look at this on the surface, we might say, he's questioning God. Why are these people doing this? But he's actually asking a question as, why are there people like this? How, why are these people doing this? Those who are doing this is really the subject of his, his question. How do you people who rage and plot a vain thing 
and set yourselves and rulers against, against the Lord. How do you do that? How can, how can you ever begin to think that? Because you know that he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. You know it's foolish for you to do that, right? And so it's not asking God why he allows these people to be. It's asking these people, where do you get off doing that? It's not questioning God as to how he's running the world. But how can man be so foolish that they think they can do away with God? There was a commercial for Porsche, or Porsche, whichever way you want to pronounce it. It's coming across this bridge, and I don't remember where, where it was being located. But on the other side of the bridge was a monument. The monument had a cross on it. So in the commercial, they did a little editing and removed the cross from the filming. They edited out the, the top of the monument that had the cross on it. And a lot of people who were from that area who knew what it was like raised a, a storm. Why did you do that? What was the purpose of trying to do away with that monument? This is the idea that people think, who are ungodly, think they can do away with God, do away with any kind of authority. We, we know that Christ came first and foremost to give his life a ransom for many. We can also see, though, that the sinless Son of God, as he walked through this earth, could not help but leave an example of how the godly should seek to live. And that's what Peter was getting at, as we read in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23. He said that Christ left us an example and that we were not to revile. He did not revile as he was reviled. And revile is to use scornful, abusive, insulting language. And for most of us, when we're, we receive that kind of thing, we return in favor and in likeness, and we say, well, I'm just giving them back what they deserve. But we are reminded in Galatians 5, verses 22 and verse 23, that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What an array of blessings. What an array of strength. We then are able. To withstand words from graceless minds. By the way, even in spite of what uh, one of the most popular, quote, religious series out there is teaching, Jesus never said, I probably shouldn't have said that. He never said that. 
I said, well, how do you know he never said it? Well, because if he says he never said that, that would mean he sinned with his mouth. And the sinless son of God never did that. But when you try to fill in what you perceive to be blanks in scripture, that sort of thing happens. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It says, who makes you to differ from another? What do you have that you did not receive? By God's grace, we are what we are. The Spirit has made us different. And the Spirit has given us an ability of discernment. And the life of Christ, his, our union with him, gives us the victory over this time. And allows us to be able to discern when we should be silent and when we should speak. And if the glory and honor of our Lord and Savior, the glory and honor of his church, and the glory and honor of the truth is put into question, it's a time to speak. But if it's just a verbal assault or attack, baseless against the ravings of, of a fool against our character, we're silent. There's no need to respond. Instead, we should be very grateful and full of joy that our hearts have been changed, that they're not filled with such hate and such foolishness, but by the grace of God, we've been remade and that we're able through Christ to gain victory over all the assaults that come our way. Let's stand together for prayer.